Let's go to the Lord in prayer before we look at His Word. We thank You, O God, for Your Word that You have given to us. As we have just sung, God, Your Your Word is it's like sweeter than honey. It is a, it's a delight to our soul. God, we live in a world where we hear many voices and there's many different ideas and, and people are, are promoting the things that they think are right and we are seeking to discern what truly is right. But God, how, how great it is to know that the things that you say are trustworthy. God, that we could rest in these things to know that they are right and true. And so we pray that you would speak to us, Lord, that you would help us to, to listen and to take to heart the things that you, that you, ha- that you say to us today. Uh, Lord, help us to walk by faith in these things. We thank you, Lord, and pray this in your name. Amen. Well, this morning uh, we're, we're going to continue on as we talk about some of the basics that we want to look at for this new year in 2020. We've already talked about what it looks like to be a gospel-focused church or a gospel-centered church. We've talked about prayer and why it is that we pray and what are the implications for that as a church. And today, I want us to look at uh, what I called uh, freed to serve together. Freed to serve together as we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Well, one of the things, that, the blessings that we have as a small church is that we are prone to have more of a sense of community as, as a church, maybe than some. Because we have that opportunity to live together as a, as a body, being aware of what's going on in each other's lives. And I'm so thankful for the work of the Holy Spirit in our midst. And, and to see that, to see that sense of fostering that unity. But, you know, do we do that perfectly? No, we, we don't. And, and I guess I'm, as I was preparing this sermon today, there was sort of a, a sense of the, the sense that Paul had as he wrote to the Thessalonian church. And, and he said, you know, he said, I thank God for the love that you have for one another. But I pray that that love may increase and abound more and more so. And, and that's what I pray for us, that as we have that sense of community, that there may be a sense in which we may grow even more so in that. And so as we, we come to our text today, you know, I want us to, to really focus on what Paul says in the first part of verse 27. He says, now you are the body of Christ. That's the focus of our community as believers, that we are the body of Christ. But, but what does that mean? What is it? Uh, what, what's the significance in the fact that we are the body of Christ? Well, first of all, I want us to see that uh, the body of Christ is a sovereign work of God. It is a sovereign work of God and what he is doing in his church. And, and, and the first thing we see is, is that, God, that it is a harmonious design that God is doing in our midst. Look at verse 18. It says, but as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each of them as he chose. Now, that word arranged in verse 18 means to to set in a certain arrangement or position with a design. Okay, 
Now, let me give you a picture of what that might mean. Have you ever seen anybody take an arrangement of flowers and put them on a table? And as somebody who's not like me, somebody who's skilled, actually knows what they're doing, and, and they set that vase on the table, and they, they get the, the flowers in that vase uh, just a right way, having all the, the flowers and the, the baby's breath and everything else that's in that arrangement, just, just right. And then they take that vase and they position it in just the right place on the table. And, and they do it with such intentionality. And they step back and they go, yeah. That's exactly what I want. And that, that's sort of what the picture is here. That what God is doing is an act of his divine appointment. That just in the same way that God sort of planned out the physical body and he put everything in just the right place, so he does so in the church. Now, have you ever thought about that? I mean, God put the elbow right where he put the elbow. And what's interesting is, is he had it bend just a certain way. I mean, could you imagine what our bodies would look like? Imagine what chairs would look like if our knees bent the other way. You know, but God didn't do that. He, he put everything in the right place. He put the shoulder where he put it. He put the ear where, he, where, he, where it needed to be. He put the mouth. And in the same way, as he planned out the church, as he put the church together with all of its different members, he did so in just the right way. So, so the dignity in the body of Christ doesn't belong to the people with the showy gifts, nor with the people who are up front. Uh, but the dignity in the body belongs to every member because the dignity that we have doesn't come from the gifts that have been given to us, but rather the hand of our Savior who gives each and every person a unique place in the body. And when I say the body, of course, I mean the church. And so that means that, that our participation or, or our part in Christ's church is a privilege that is given to us by God. Now, we may know that, but, but contrast that with uh, oftentimes the attitude that we hear in evangelicalism, where we think of ourselves not so much a part of the church, but the church is somewhere where we go. And so people are like, yeah, are you going to go to church today? Yeah, well, I might, I might not. You know, because it's more of an activity than it is a part of our identity in Jesus Christ. And so, we see here, not only is this something that God did in terms of uh, placing us in just the right place, but it says at the end of verse 18 that he did that with each one of them as he chose. It is God's will. It is his desire. It pleased God to place us just where he did within that body. But then look down at verse 24, and especially the last part. Uh, he says, but God also so composed the body. Okay, now that word composed in the Greek means he mixed it together. It's actually an artistic term. Okay, so for those of you who are artistic, what he's sort of referring to, if you think about an artist that has a palette with all these different colors on this palette, that they might take and mix the colors just right. And when God composed the church, it was sort of a mixing of colors or a harmonious blending that he did in putting together the church. Now, let me ex uh, explain that a little bit more. If you look at verses 4 through 11, you'll see that the Holy Spirit gives each Christian uh, at least one spiritual gift whenever he or she comes to faith in Jesus Christ. And, and he does so, it says in verse 7, for the common good. 
In other words, for the good of the church or the body of believers. Now, now Peter, he sort of unpacks that a little more. If you turn over to, to Peter's first epistle, the first Peter, chapter 4 and verse 10, Peter actually uh, explains this a little bit more clearly. He says to the church, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. So, so God gives us these spiritual gifts, as Paul says, for the common good, or as Peter says, so that we might serve one another. In other words, it's not because it's convenient for me or because, yeah, I'd like to do that or somehow it uh, fulfills me more as a person. But really, God has, has given gifts in the church so that we might serve others. Now, that doesn't mean that there's not any delight in that. Okay, do I enjoy preaching on Sunday morning? Yeah. Do I enjoy teaching? Yes, I, I, I enjoy those things. And part of that is, is because that is the gift that God has given to me. And so for every gift that the Lord gives to us, there's just a sort of a sense in which if people are like, you know, uh, do you enjoy doing that? You're like, yeah, I can't think of anything else that I would rather do because God has has given me that gift. But there is a sense of service sometimes and sometimes sacrifice. I mean, I think about it over the, the Christmas holidays when all of my kids were home and and grandkids and everything. And, and as a pastor, Christmas, while for everybody else sort of is a time to sort of slow down for a pastor, it sort of is a busier time because you got a sermon on Sunday, then you got a sermon on Christmas Eve, and then you got a sermon coming up the following Sunday. And while your family's out there laughing and cutting up and having a good time, you're sort of tucked away trying to grab moments of uh, spending time in sermon preparation. So sometimes there is a sacrifice, but but it's one that you you want to do because the Lord has gifted you that way uh, to do that. But but notice that he goes on in, in Peter's epistle and he says to use it to serve another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. Now, now think about this, guys, for a moment. Just the beautiful plan that God has. That he has taken those who were born in sin. And, and one of the things that we know about sin is that sin isolates us from those things in our life that are most important. Sin creates a, a, a breach in our communion with God and with each other. And we know that is if, if you look back at the opening chapters of Genesis that we're all very familiar with, that that there was perfect harmony between Adam and Eve and between uh, uh, Adam and Eve and God. But when sin entered the world, what happened? You know, there there was a break in that relationship. And and but sin is more than than breaking a few rules. It actually is a fundamental flaw in our character whereby we have a tendency to give in to the lies that Satan speaks to us, and particularly the lies of autonomy, of self-sufficiency, and self-focus. I mean, think about that. 
in our relationships with others? What are the things that oftentimes get in the way? Whenever we seek to be autonomous, whenever we say, well, I have the right to do what I want to do, when I want to do it, and how I want to do it. And oftentimes accountability, or excuse me, not accountability, autonomy struggles with accountability to others and especially to God, does it not? You know, we sometimes would say, yes, I want to obey God's word, but sometimes we want to do it only to the degree that we want to do it or we want to obey it only uh, the way that we want to obey it. So even as Christians who have been set free from sin, we still struggle sometimes with that sense of autonomy, but also uh, self-sufficiency. You know, uh, that's sort of that attitude that I have everything that I need in and of myself, so I, I don't need to depend upon others or submit to anyone else. I, I, I don't need anything outside of myself. I can do it myself. Okay, you may have even had your kids uh, say that, where you're trying to help them with something, and they'll say, I can do it myself. You know, uh, now we aren't quite so blatant to do that, uh, to, to come right out maybe and say that, but don't we sometimes act that way when we're trying to get everything done in our lives? We're working on our to-do list and we're just frustrated. And whenever we, we feel a sense of weakness in our lives, what do we think in our heads? What's wrong with me? What do I have to do to fix this? Because we're coming at it from the premise of self-sufficiency that I should be able to do it myself. You know, but what we see as we look at God's word is that's not how God created us to be. Not at all. But that's what the lie that sin says to us. Or there's a sense of self-focus, which says that, that I'm sort of the center of the world. That it's right to live for myself and to do only what brings me happiness. And, and actually, if you look at our world today, it even gets to the point where, where if views clash with mine, what do we begin to say to other people? Your views are invalid. Do you not see that on Facebook, you know, where, where someone disagrees with someone else? They become angry with them and they begin to lash out at them, uh, uh, discrediting their, their views. And, and even as Christians, even in our relationship with God, as I said, we can look at life from the way that things affect us rather than the Lord. And as a result, our sin causes us to live in a habitual violation of God-given Priorities. Now, now think about that. That's our life before we are in Christ. Now, we still struggle with these things, even as Christians. But before we become believers, we have no choice but to live autonomously, self-sufficiently, and focused upon ourselves. That's just what our nature is before we come to faith in Jesus Christ. But in Jesus paying the penalty for our sin, he, he, he not only forgives us for that sin... But he gives us a new nature where we not only have been set free from the bondage of autonomy, self-sufficiency, and self-focus, but we are now set free that we could actually serve other people. Where we're not just focused in on ourselves, Where we actually think about other people and, and how they are doing and what's going on with them. And and so it's, you know, our lives and our schedules, our priorities, our household, our jobs isn't the totality of what we're all about. All of a sudden, now we have room in our lives for other people. It's like Paul says in Second Corinthians, chapter five, verse 14 and 15, for the love of Christ controls us. Some translations say the love of Christ compels us. 
Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live, those who are now in Christ, those who live, might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. And so we've been given that new nature that thinks not only of our own interests, but also to the interests of others. So we see as we come to faith in Jesus Christ, we not only have the opportunity to serve as Peter talks about, but God has given us the ability to serve as well as he has given us gifts to use in the body of Christ. And so we've been given these gifts to use in the church. And these gifts, we see as we look at Peter's words in chapter 4, they are good stewards of God's very grace. So the gifts that you have, the gifts that I have, have been given to us and they are expression of God's grace that we might serve one another to help us to grow to maturity in Jesus Christ. So as we use our gifts, that is the Spirit of God working in our midst to help us to grow. So where sin produces isolation, salvation sets us free both to serve God and others. And as Peter says, for the glory of God through everything in Jesus Christ. So, so God not only chooses the gifts for you, but he also, he, he mixes you with the right people so that the right combinations of gifts are used in, in a local church body. But it says, but God has composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it. And so God blends the members of the body together in a way that the weaker members, rather than the stronger members, received attention. And so you might say, so why am I here at, at Kirk of the Plains? And you may say, well, it was close to my house. It was a good Reformed church. It was, you know, whatever reason that, that you might give. But the reality is, is that God has mixed you here for ministry. And, and, and if I might go even a step further, I like the way one person says, they said, once the Spirit has made you the color that he wants you to be, if you use that analogy of an artist, he says, then he transfers you to the canvas of the church exactly in the spot that he wants you to be right next to the other colors. So when the body is put together, everybody is in the right spot. And when the picture is finished, it is a picture of Christ. You are not only the right color, but you are the right color in the right place. Isn't that beautiful? Now think about that in terms of the isolation of sin and to see what God has done in us. Now why has he done that? How, how is it that he brings glory to himself? Well, we see he does that as you see the unity of the body. Look at verses 12 and 13. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we are all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all are made to drink of one spirit. You see, the point's very simple, that even though the body has a lot of different parts, it's still just one body. And he's saying, likewise, the church has, has many members, but it's still one church. Now, I want you to understand here that he's talking about the church at large. So as we think about the many members of the body, we may be thinking about different denominations too as well. Uh, but also he's applying this in a local context in a church, the church at Corinth. And so it also could be the local expression of the body of Christ as well. 
But I think I want us to understand that as we think about the church, that we not just think about Kirk of the Plains, that we not just think about our presbytery in this area, or even that we think just about the PCA, but that we think about the church at large. And brothers and sisters, that's why we pray for other churches. That's why we're praying for other churches in our presbytery. That's why we take time each week to pray for the different churches in our communities as well. Because we are part of this body and we desire that the body grow together in unity. And our unity is emphasized because we have all been placed into one body by one spirit. Look at verse 13. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. So we see that unity throughout the scripture. And, and I could go through any number of, of scriptures and, and show you Ephesians 4, 3 talks about keeping the unity of the spirit. Ephesians 4, 4 through 6 talks about others, one body and one spirit, even as you were called to one hope. But if you turn to Philippians chapter 1, I want you to see Paul's words to the Philippians and very familiar words in Philippians 1.3. He says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day till now. Now, the word partnership there is the word koinonia. Okay, it's the word that we translate fellowship. And, and there's a lot of things that are wrapped up in that word koinonia but, but part of what the, the term koinonia means is it is a fellowship of a common or a shared life in Jesus Christ. In other words, every person who is a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ has a relationship with Jesus, has a, has a life that they live with Jesus. Okay, But it's not like we're a bunch of individuals that are connected to Christ, but because we are connected to Christ, almost like the uh, you know, a bunch of spokes to the hub of a wheel, we are also connected to one another. And we have a shared life together that we walk in Jesus Christ. And, and as, Ephesians, as Paul talks about in Ephesians, about keeping the unity of the Spirit, that common life we share is through the indwelling work of the Holy Spirit of God who lives in us. It's that life that's pulsing in us as, as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and, and Jesus prays that we might exhibit that unity in John chapter 7, uh, or excuse me, John chapter 17. And, and one of the reasons he does that is so that the world would see Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, Jesus prays this. He goes, I in, oh, excuse me, he says, the glory that you have given to me, Jesus is speaking to the Father, I have given to them that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you have loved me. And so that as, as we have that sense of unity in the body of Christ, that we, we do so, so that people around us might see Christ. So the church is not just a group of religious people gathered together to enjoy certain mutually desired functions. It's a group of people who have a shared life in Christ, who belong to the same Lord, who are filled with the same spirit, who are given the same gifts by the Holy Spirit. And this is important for us to remember uh, whenever we don't always see eye to eye. You know, it, it's so easy sometimes as we're with other believers. And I, I thank God for the unity that he has given us as a church so far. And I continue to pray for the expression of that unity 
that it would please the Lord Jesus Christ. But I've been in churches before where Christians have disagreed with one another. And, and, and so they have uh, focused in on the sins and the faults of each other. And they have forgotten that there is this shared life in Jesus Christ. And, and so they've not prayed for one another that they would grow in their faith. Instead, they just criticize one another as well. Well, we see this unity in, in Christ, but there's also a sense in which there's a necessity of each part of the body uh, for this sense of unity. If, if you're a Christian, then you are part of the body of Christ. And the, the, the life of God is pulsing through you and me. And we're a vital organism, uh, of, of, of a vital part of the body, just like any limb on our body, on our human body, is a vital part of that body. And uh, so the church is, is not just an organization. It is an organization, but it's more than that. It, it is a living organism as well. And as we read in Ephesians 4.11, that God has given gifted men to the church, apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors, teachers for the equipping of the saints so that they might do the work of service. And the whole reason for that is uh, for the building up of the body of Christ, that the saints are to do the work of ministry. And that work is the body building up of the body of Christ. It is the justification and the sanctification of that body until we reach that spiritual maturity. So, the, the thing I want you, us to, to be reminded of this morning is as we function as a church, yes, we want to be concerned about our own sanctification. Uh, dads, you want to be concerned about the sanctification of your families, of your kids. You want to make sure that they are growing. But, but part of what we are, are about as a church is also seeing the maturity and the sanctification of one another. We're also seeking to see those who are added to the number uh, who would come to faith in Jesus Christ and would grow. And so, you know what? Where Elizabeth is in her relationship with the Lord is a big deal to us as a church. You know, where Christopher is spiritually is a big deal to the church. Where Gracia, how she is growing in her faith and her walk with the Lord is a big deal, not just to me as a pastor, is a big deal to us as a church because there is a sense of seeking for us to, to grow in that body. Even though we are very diverse. I mean, Paul says, for the body does not consist of one member, but of many. And so even with that sense of unity, that unity comes through diversity. Uh, if you think about the human body, it, it has over 200 different bones, 650 muscles, over two miles of different nerves. And yet through all that diversity, that's what makes the body function well. And it's the same way with the church. But sometimes we get sort of upset when people are different, when, when people are sort of unique. And, and we sometimes will, will seek to, to try to conform them to our will. And in our way, and we need to be careful because God has made us very diverse that we might be unified. And I particularly want us to think about that as we think about denominations and the church at large. It's so easy for us to become critical of other churches and where they are at. And, and you know, I mean, we've heard in, in recent news of denominations that are splitting 
over issues of uh, sexuality and and uh, and stuff. You know, but my question is, are we praying for these denominations? Are we praying for the body of Christ? Are we are we lovingly seeking to to minister uh, as those that come alongside those churches and denominations, at least those that continue to walk with the Lord and and his his word? Or is it something where we are just being in critical Um, as as uh, as we look at the, the church? You know, especially if you think about the Corinthians, uh, they did not exhibit these things that Paul is talking about. There was not that sense of unity. As a matter of fact, they were actually quite the opposite. I'll tell you what, if there's any church that gives me great comfort that God's grace is great, it is the Corinthian church. Because I look at this church and I think you guys are nothing great, you know, but it lets me see how great God's grace and, and power is. But they were a church that, you know, were, were very divisive. They were very proud church. You know, they they uh, sort of broke up into groups and one says, I follow this leader. Another says, I follow that leader. They didn't deal with the sin. They tolerated sin in their midst, actually made excuses for it. They were suing each other. They were gluttons. They were drunkards. There was sexual immorality. They desecrated the Lord's table. You know, there was just all kinds of problems in in this church. And so, you know, of course, Paul writes to them to say, but this is what God is doing. This is what it means to be saved in Jesus Christ. So I think we need to be mindful of, of the obstacles to this kind of body life that we not, might not fall into this as well. And just a couple of that I might mention very briefly is first the attitude of independence or pride. If you look at verses 19 through 31, you, you, you see that. You know, it's a, it's, it's a sense that I'm so gifted, I'm so talented, I'm so valuable that I don't need anybody else. Look at verse 21. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor the, again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Such attitude doesn't come from the Lord. It comes from Satan, the flesh and sin. You know, and, and Satan is deceptive. Okay, and, and I want to make that point because I think it could be easy for us to look at our own lives and say, well, I'm not like that. I'm not proud. But the whole concept of deception is that we can be that way and we cannot know it. Right. Uh, I, I like what C.S. Lewis says. He goes, there is one disease that we can see in everybody else. But when it's in our hearts, we cannot see it ourselves. And that is pride. It is so easy for us to be deceived. And and this attitude of pride in the church can take a lot of different forms. You know, it can be the attitude of people who think that that no one else can do it. They think that they have to do everything themselves. Consequently, you know, these are people who are very busy in the church, very active, working very hard, probably wearing themselves out. You know, trying to do the things that are needed to be done in the church. And I will just tell you this. Church planters can be guilty of this. Your pastor can be guilty of this. To think that I must do it or it's not going to get done. Then you have some people in the church that are seeking to build their own kingdoms. You know, these are people who have done areas of ministry for a lot of years. Now, we've not been a church that long, so... You know, that's probably not as much the case here. But, you know, they they think that, you know, anyone else that does what they're doing, well, they just couldn't do it quite as well as what I do. So I need to do it. 
You know, it's someone who thinks that other people are dispensable, but they are not. But Paul says, on the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. That means they're absolutely necessary. And we need to be careful and examine our own hearts. Sometimes this pride, though, can manifest itself in other ways. Maybe what I would call an armchair critic. You know what an armchair quarterback is? Somebody who watches a football game. It's like, come on, coach, what are you doing? And they're screaming at the TV and, you know, criticizing everything that's happening. Like they know so much better how to do it. You know, Christians can be armchair critics as well. where they can sit back and they can criticize what other people are doing. And, and even say, I cannot believe that they believe that. I cannot believe that, that they are doing that. And we sit back and we look at our lives as if we are so much more spiritual, you know, rather than jumping in and helping those believers to grow in their faith. You know, God's designed each part of his body to do what it's created to do. And God didn't create any super Christians that have the pride to, to do whatever they want. I think about a PCA pastor. His name's Randy Pope. Actually, Randy just, I think he has retired or he's in the process of retiring. But he planted a church in Atlanta, Georgia a number of years ago. I think he had $20 in his pocket and he arrived in town with his wife to plant a church. Well, today there are multiple Redeemer churches uh, in Atlanta and uh, he's an extremely talented guy. But he's the kind of guy who could easily fall into the trap of thinking, hey, I'm talented, you know, God needs me in the church, or it wouldn't exist. But uh, there was a woman he tells about in his church who had a 16-year-old daughter who was killed in a car accident. The wife was a Christian. The daughter who was killed was a Christian. But the husband was not. Well, they, they prayed during the preparation of the funeral because Randy, as well as the wife, was very concerned that this would cause the unbelieving husband to become embittered that, that his daughter, the apple of his eye, would be killed. So at the funeral, though, as they prayed, the husband was so convicted of the glory of Christ and the glory of heaven and the free offer of the gospel of Jesus Christ that at the funeral that man made a commitment to Christ, and his life began to change, and he began to grow by leaps and bounds as a Christian. Well, shortly after uh, he became a Christian, during that first year, uh, while he was still growing, he was a young man in his uh, late 40s, he found out that he had cancer. Well, once again, Randy was concerned that this man would, you know, uh, walk away from the faith because of the hardships of his life, and and uh, so Randy began to pray for this man. And the man went through chemo, chemotherapy and um, Randy and, and this guy's wife prayed. The man battled with cancer and they prayed. Well, eventually he became cancer free. And, uh, and so everything seemed to work out well. Well, a few months later, Randy received a phone call from another PCA pastor who had a friend who was coming to Atlanta to receive treatments for cancer that, that he had because he lived in a part of the country where they didn't have hospitals that was dealing with cancer. And so this PCA pastor asked Randy, he said, would you go visit this friend in the hospital? And Randy says, well, I can't promise you that I will, but somebody from our church will. So Randy calls up this new Christian in this congregation who has had cancer and beat it. And he asked the man, he said, would you go visit this man in the hospital? And 
this young Christian says, I can't do that. He goes, Randy, you've only been a Christian for just a little while. And Randy says, you know, he goes, I know. But he goes, I want you to go do this. And uh, he said, you've been through this. And he says, I think you'd be the right person to do this. So Randy met with the young man and he sort of walked him through how to do a hospital visit. And Randy says, I'll go with you on the first hospital visit. But after that, I want you to visit him. And so the man did. Well, about a year later, the man died. And the, the young believer who Randy had encouraged to visit um, uh, this man, other man in the hospital, he said, he goes, you know, he goes, it was hard to watch that man die. But he said, you know, he said, uh, he says, I think, Randy, he said, uh, the Lord really helped me to grow in this. And he goes, not only that, but he goes, I also think I was a better pastor than you were. He said, if it were you, he said, you would have gone and visited the man in the hospital once. You would have checked it off your list as a pastor and said, you know, I did my duty. He said, but for me, I was able to go visit that man in the hospital every day and to, to check on him. And uh, I saw how God used me in that man's life. You see, it takes a talented pastor and believer to say, you know, this ministry is not mine. This ministry is the Lord's. And uh, I'm going to, to trust him. Well, so we have to be careful against pride. But also we have to be careful against an attitude of inadequacy and feeling that we are insignificant. And, and not using the gifts that God has, has given to us. In verse 14, we read, For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, Because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body of Christ. You know, uh, as Christians, we might struggle to think that, Well, Lord, what does it matter if I use my gifts? Or, Lord, I don't... I don't play the piano as well as, as, as Casey or as Bev. So, Lord, I can't use my gifts to, to minister to the body. And we may think, you know, what does it really matter? Well, one, it does affect the body. But even if you don't see that affecting the body, I think there's a, another thing we need to consider. And, and let me just put it this way, if I might use this illustration. There, there was a, a man by the name of Michael Costa years ago who was conducting a rehearsal in which the orchestra was joined by a chorus. And about halfway through this rehearsal, where the, you know the trumpets were blaring and the drums were pounding and people were were singing, uh, the piccolo player began to mutter under his breath. He began to say, "What good is it that I'm playing the piccolo? Nobody can hear me." So he just kept the instrument to his mouth, but he didn't play it. And and they went on for just a few minutes like that. And all of a sudden, the conductor said, "Stop! Stop! Stop!" He says, "Where's my piccolo player?" You see, he could, he could hear that. Nobody else knew that that instrument wasn't playing, but he knew. And I think, how often, you know, do we, uh, because maybe we're timid, maybe, you know, for any variety of reasons, we don't use the gifts that God has given to us. God knows these things, and he seeks for us to do that. I think it's interesting, Paul says in Romans 12, verse 4, for as in one body... We have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. 
Let us then use them. We are to use our gifts that God has given to us. So even if we feel inadequate in the gifts we are given, it is necessary. Because remember, God has put us all where he wants us. He arranged us on the table. He took the colors and he put them together just the way that he wants that. Let me just close by just referring back to this man that Randy Pope had encouraged to go to the hospital and visit a cancer patient. Well, a little while after all that happened, this young believer's neighbor died. And so he called Randy and he said, Randy, he said, would you do the funeral for this neighbor of mine? And, and Randy says, well, doesn't he have a pastor? And he goes, no. He goes, actually, he's never gone to church a day in his life. And Randy said, well, he said, I'd like you to do the funeral. And the guy says, whoa, whoa, whoa. He goes, it's one thing to go to the hospital and visit somebody. It's another thing to stand up in front of people and, and to do a funeral. And uh, he says, I understand. But he said, I'd still like you to do it. And the guy goes, well, he goes, I'm not an ordained minister. And Randy said, well, you know, in the state of Georgia, he said, you have to be a minister to marry people, but not to bury people. Anybody can bury people. So he says, actually, he says, you can stand up and you can do this funeral. He goes, about 20 minutes went by and they were arguing back and forth about who's going to do it. And finally, the man gave in and he said, "Okay, I'll do it. So Don did the funeral that day. And three people came to faith in Jesus Christ through Don's witness. Because you see, it's not about us. It's not about the gifts that we have. It's about what Christ has chosen to do in the body. And this year, I have to confess to you as a pastor, I feel like in some ways I've done too much. Okay? And, and this is not a, a, a sermon, so please don't misinterpret it like this. That it's like, I've done too much. Now I need you people to step up and need you to do something. Because number one, many of you are doing stuff. Okay, but the thing that I think I've come to realize as I've looked at this passage again is how weak I've made our church by me trying to do too much. And I need to get out of the way. And I need to repent and say, Lord, forgive me and let your body be your body that, uh, that the Lord might work through us in this coming year. So there's things that we're going to see that I'm going to be sharing with you later to help you begin to do that and, and to help everyone find the place that the Lord has given them in our body so that we might benefit from that. God is good. It's going to be exciting what he's going to continue to do in, in, in the midst of our church. So you can pray for your pastor that he'll back off, that he'll let go. He won't be so full of himself that he can watch the body work. Amen. Let's bow our heads, if we could, this morning as we consider this word. Lord, we're so thankful for the word that you have given to us. And God, how it encourages us and just reminds us that you are doing a mighty and a great work, not only in our lives individually, but corporately together. You are drawing us together to work side by side and, and, and to see your power at work in our midst. And we would pray for that in this coming year, that we would be like one body, 
Lord, that we would increase even more so in our love for one another, in our community with one another, in our ministry with each other, that we might do so for your glory. Uh, Lord, it, it is so good to see the, the work that, that you are doing. And we pray that you would glorify your church through Kirk of the Plains. And not only through us, but of course, Lord, the other churches in our community and our denomination around the world, Lord, that, that you would be honored. We thank you, Lord, and pray these things in your name. Amen.